Hi, I'm Pamela Pims, host of the Good of the Hive podcast, sharing stories from the road about art activist Matt Willey as he paints 50,000 bees in murals and installations around the world. Tell me a story, Pam. Once upon a time, there was a boy and a bee. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Hi, Matt. Hi, Pam. How are you? I'm terrific. I was going to say it's been a minute since we've spoken, and I can't wait to catch up. Yeah, it has been. It has been. I think it was good to take a little wintertime break, too. Yeah, so now this is the beginning of the first podcast of season two. Mm-hmm. And I'm eager to hear what you've been doing in the interim. Yeah, for sure. I am. I'm. I'm eager to talk about what I've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from shoveling snow in the Catskills, which oh, has God. been ridiculous, like the snow this winter has just been a lot. You know, it's kind of cool. It's another storm happening right now. Certainly, the nice part is we don't have wind and ice like they do down in Texas right now, which is what always causes the bigger problems. It's just sort of light, fluffy snow landing. But boy, is it piling up. It's up over my knees. Oh, my. Did you did you see that joke about Texas and the weather? No. COVID says, what do we do to get these Texans to stay inside? <laughs> and the weather answers, Hold on to my beer. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good one. I love people. I feel for Texas. I really do. It's just terrible what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, which just can take us right into climate change, but let's talk about some other things first. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Where should we start? Like, um, you know, I left off with Hendersonville. Mm Mm-hmm at the Children's Museum, and I, I think that was the last we talked, right? It was when I was down there. Right. Have we done? Uh, I don't think we've done a podcast since then. And so, you know, I really decided to take some time and regroup and say, okay, I've been painting bees for six years. What's working? What's not working? How does this move forward? What's the most effective use of my time? And I had with all these projects going, I never seem to have time to stop and look at the whole of the good of the hive, like what it's capable of, what it could expand to. It's just been this drive forward for six years, Mm -hmm. including like doing the Ted talk Add that on, like I always seem to be doing something in the evening just to keep up or try and do something, but it's in the evening hours. So this time period was really about stopping and And looking at what's going on, you know, um, with the work and see how I can improve on that. Yeah, that's always good to have the luxury to take that time as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what you said about all the snow Mm -hmm. and, and how, you know, are you, are you, I I see a, a note here where you said you're surfing and can't catch a wave. Are you surfing in the snow? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's completely different than the snow. The snow has actually been completely nurturing to me. Um, I've enjoyed, um, I grew up in the snow in New England and 
that feeling when you see lots of snow for me is very day off from school feel. There's an elation. We were a skiing family, so I would go skiing when I was young. So some people have a reaction to snow that is like harrowing or scary or whatever. And it just, I love it. Yeah. I love all of it. Bring it on. I am a little bit sick of it and I'm ready for spring at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that is true too. But uh, but it, I've enjoyed almost every bit of the snow this year. And that note about surfing and can't catch a wave was really it's not about not being able to catch a wave. It was an analogy I was making for the work currently because I opened up so fully this winter to what is possible. And one of the things that I started in the fall was the crowdfunding campaign. We released the trailer that John Dupree and I worked on. He's going to be doing the, he's going to be the director of photography for the first episode of the the film and I'm directing and producing and also I'm the subject matter a lot of the time because the the first episode is about the origin story of the good of the hive and how I got into creating this and bringing it up to the now so one of the things that's been happening for me is there's so many things to think about at once as I'm creating this that I feel like I, I've had that um that feeling like this last week when we were filming, I'm learning this because it's documentary style, right? So you can't script the whole thing. And so you don't know exactly what you're going to get or what you're going to do. I'm learning to interview people. I'm usually on the other side of the interview microphone and I'm having to ask the questions and bring people uh, what I need for the story out of them in a natural way. And so it left me with this feeling like I was sitting in the ocean on a surfboard and and like you know a wave would come and i can't quite catch it to jump on the board you know and i understandable yeah i mean this is new and you've got to wear so many hats at once yeah exactly and as and i keep paddling and then a very again another very wise woman i was telling her i just keep having this feeling about that and she's like that's perfection, Matt. <laughs> We're all being asked to like sit on the surfboard and imagine what is possible right now. Mm. You know, and I'm like, yeah, it still fits because, you know, even symbolically with all the snow still coming down, spring is when things sprout and the bees come to life again. And you go out there and you like start pollinating and start gathering nectar. We're still deep in winter. I mean, looking out my winter <laughs> window right now, it's like a foot of snow that happened in the last 24 hours. So I've just been breathing into that energy and being like, okay, there's still more and more is being revealed every day. We just did five days of filming and the things that came up during that process were profound. Like I was like, I could not have even, if I had a sat for six months, I wouldn't have thought of this, but it was just someone brought something to me that I can now go capture on film later. New projects, new people that I've met. And and that's what I mean, like letting letting those waves come, you know, and just Yeah. Being, Sounds like they, quite quite a week, a week of waves. Yeah, that and like trying to figure out how to, you know, we don't have enough money to produce this film yet. I'm I have enough to get started. And so I'm doing that. Uh, because that's kind of the way the 
the good of the hive roles. It's like, I don't wait. I do the Mr. Magoo, which is like, mm-hmm. oh, just forward and the girder will come and it'll carry into the next place. <laughs> you know, like that's sort of my, the way that I operate when my intuition is saying, go this direction. I don't wait um, because we don't really have that time to wait right now. We have to be clear mm-hmm. with what we're doing, but I can start the film because I have enough money to start. Can you talk about what what has happened in this first week and what you've done? Yeah, I can talk about some of it for sure. Like, I'm not going to give away the detail details, but the this the idea is to capture the origin story of how I got into this work, and we were doing that in the studio here, but also looking at the art activism element, the B element, the art element, the design element, like in these pieces that show what, how the, the whole thing moves forward, you know, as it's growing and expanding. It's, it's kind of the opposite of like creating a normal business where you're going to create a product, like a really cool watch, and then you're going to saturate the market with like knowledge of this product. You know, we always, you know, I'm always trying to bring awareness to the work and to the bees. That's the the goal and to ignite people's curiosity for the planet we live on, you know, and, and the vision is a world where people see and experience the connectedness of, of everything. And so I'm trying to create a show that's also embodying that, like this art activist piece in and of itself, instead of like a retroactive retelling. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm working very in present moment, telling the story and showing what I do on a daily basis in some places to to you know deal with some of the vulnerability and the fear or like the you know there's this trendy thing people talk about right now the imposter syndrome where I'm like what am I doing am I really like I sat there and thought at one point I had a full on panic attack. Like who the heck wants to watch me? (laughs) Oh, oh. (laughs) lots of people will. (laughs) Well, sure. Let's hope so. But, uh, (laughs) but it's my job to create something that they want to watch because it's not just like, you know, let's face it. I don't have Zac Efron's abs, you know, like I don't (laughs) have star power that people are going to watch whatever Leo or, you know, yet um, Matt yet. Go on. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but like at this point, I'm just trying to be me. Yeah, for sure. And like I definitely operate. We've talked about this before. Like, you know, Michelangelo, when he was asked um, uh, like how he created this masterpiece of David, he said, I got a chunk of marble and I just chiseled away everything that wasn't David. So I'm trying to do that with my own work and life here there's some things that don't belong in the in the show and other things they need to be in there like me thinking because I think a lot of activists a lot of environmentalists we get daunted by the task at hand and we start to think what good am I doing or you start to think is this the right way to go about this and there's always new information coming in there's new ideas there's new pandemics there's mm-hmm, new mm-hmm. Like everything so you're constantly in this shifting state but i'm imagining even your own self-awareness as you 
begin the process and continue to dig, as you say, you get deeper and deeper and things come to you that are actually new. Mm-hmm. And how do you deal with that? Absolutely. Like creating a new vehicle of um, a show to carry this forward. Now I have a history of um, script writing. So I, I have some realm of understanding around structure and story and Um, When I was co-managing Tell Me O Muse, my old company, and we were dealing with the story of Homer's Odyssey, you know, so mythology and the, the, like, how would I weave really archetypal story and character into this? So I'm coming at it with some of that, Mm -hmm. but I'm also at the same time completely flying by the seat of my pants (laughs) in other areas. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do right now and there isn't any time to ask someone else right you know john said to me at one point he was like okay i trust that you know where this is going but i haven't done this before either like this full-on documentary um and so he's like i can't quite see it yet and i had to stand there and be like i can't fully see it yet either but i couldn't fully see the good of the hive when i showed up to paint bees in labelle What you do fully see, though, is a story that needs to be told, and you know you have that story. How it unfolds may not be completely clear yet, but you will. I I think sometimes you just do have to go with it and then just see where it goes, Um, even if you think you know where it's going. And that's sort of the danger, too. You, You have this idea, and it's going to look like this, and then if it goes awry, because it will. I mean... Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there is no pre-planned. We don't know where anything's going, and that's the whole point. None of us do. We'd like to think we do because we feel safer in that. But the truth is, you know, we don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. We really don't. Exactly. And that's where the good of the hive can be the most service. Because it's, it's less of a story being told than a vehicle to jump on board with mm-hmm. because the vehicle is moving down the road at, in real time. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so that I think is one of the most uh, beneficial aspects to what I'm doing because the story is still unfolding. I'm going back. We're going to continue filming when I go down to Hendersonville to finish that mural. Say, where did you film this, this past week? We filmed in Narrowsburg here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were, um, in, I wanted to, home base Mm -hmm. and I like the idea of beginning the story in the snow when the bees are asleep sort of telling my story um you know and me in the hibernation mode at the beginning of the the film this is what I'm imagining anyway the first episode and the funny thing is we actually got some really good stuff this week that I was like okay I couldn't I really couldn't have planned that and and uh (laughs) and I think it's it's a different, I don't want to say too much about what's going on with it because um, it's going to take us a little time to get it done. And I, like, I don't like to dilute what's happening. But it, I, the thing I will say is that it's different. People haven't seen this. They haven't seen these parts of the good of the hive, but they also haven't seen a documentary done in this way, period. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, so I don't want to talk about what makes it different. Mm-hmm. Um, in that sense, um, we'll have to unfold that as we go along. Um, but by the end of the spring, even when we do a, 
a second type of like when we're in the editing phase right that will then i'll be, be able to begin because i'll be pitching it to places to see if we can get the series going yeah Right. Well, I know that in Narrowsburg, too, I know you're close to Woodstock there. And I know you did an installation there. Yeah, I did an installation there. And I just reached out to those guys last week and said, do you think um, I could get in the museum there to see if, you know, we could get a little B-roll for the film? And they they were so great. They were just like, yeah, sure, come on in. And um, John and I went in and filmed for like... 30 minutes and I gotta tell you aside from the the show and filming for an episode it felt so good to be out in a museum (laughs) 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 it was all up and running I was like oh my gosh and I'd never been in it wasn't open when I did the the installation because of the pandemic so I just never pushed in to go in because I was working outside by the monument and it was so great to walk in there with like all the Joe Cocker belting out songs. If anybody is in the area and like when the museum's open again, like it is a good one. Like it's a really good museum. They have a film um, that is so good and it's, it's just really well done much more so than I, I thought I was going to walk into. Mm-hmm. Wow. Was really surprised because they talk about like, the surrounding times, you know, there's parts of the museum that are about, you know, the Kennedys and RFK. And, and I was like, Oh my gosh, John, I painted his granddaughter, you know, years and years later, I did a portrait of one of his grandchildren and, um, the, um, just all these little things that kept popping up. Cause I was also born in 1969. Mm. Do the math people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving away my year. <laughs> <laughs> but um but so much happened that year you know like anyway it's just like that's going to be somewhat of a part of the story because i love the idea that this thing happened that raised the consciousness and woke up people in a way that was just this moment that it has carried forward there are people that did permanently wake up from that experience and that's part of what the good of the hive is about it's like creating a vehicle to allow us to open up to who we can be, Mm. you know, as she's on this planet inter interacting with the planet as one, not as they're over there. The bees are over there. What are we doing? You know, it's just, I think that's a big part of what Woodstock was about. It was more people centric and the music connected everybody for three days, but that is a beginning, you know, it, the, everything we have the ability to wake up to see the connectedness of all things yeah succinctly the consciousness and the working to awaken it and keep it awake in people exactly that's terrific because there's always new people you know we're birthing them all the time (laughs) (laughs) a lot lately i I understand there's been a a run on babies during covid (laughs) yeah i would imagine (laughs) and so i want to hear too about i know you've done some things with the nrdc and you've got some upcoming speaking engagements Mm -hmm. you've had a lot going on so i mean how are you doing all of that and what are you doing with that yeah the nrdc i did a project last year, it was a year ago, at the Albany State Capitol, where we were 
working to get awareness and movement for the Birds and the Bees Protection Act. Mm-hmm. And Senator Brad Hoyleman and Assemblyman Inglebright is his last name. Anyway, they sponsored the bill, but it's the NRDC Action Fund, Sierra Club, Audubon Society, Catskill Mountain Keepers, and Catskills Mountain Honey, I think. Great group. <laughs> Impressive, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool group. And it was the first time I ever got to lobby with a and go into the offices and really pitch why we were, you know, I was with the group. Mm. But we used, I did this big three-paneled painting called The Conversation Piece, and I painted on site, and it wasn't meant to be done. The whole idea of the conversation piece is that the conversation continues. Like I said, the painting will basically be done when we get the bill passed, Mm. you know? And then what happened with COVID and everything else, more information has come out in different studies, so they're currently working on a new bill that weaves in um, some other things. I don't know how much I'm supposed to talk about, but basically we're reigniting that painting because the conversation is continuing. And really the goal is to get a moratorium on the use of neonicotinoid pesticides, um, which are a systemic pesticide in the seed. Mm. So you can't wash it off when you grow a fruit from it. You And it not only kills the bugs that they're trying to avoid on a farm, but it kills, um, it's, it messes with the nervous system of the bees very dramatically. They lose their way home, and they, they're still doing research. They know they kill bees. They know it's horrible for the hives. They know pollinators are getting decimated by neonics. It's like a given, Mm. but we have so much um, resistance to it because uh, it's so mired in the system of big agriculture, like 94% of all the seeds around the world are treated, you know, and they're also owned, I think that's the right number, like 94% are also owned by companies. So you're bound in when you're a farmer, you buy from these seeds and it's a super complicated story as we try and create like transition farms so that we can get the soil back to what it needs to be which would be you know taking part of the farm and and making it organic and then over time expanding the organics but the whole thing is really to bring people into focus with the fact that we need to stop using neonicotinoids because we know what they're doing to the pollinators oh it's scary and if it's doing that to the pollinators, I mean, it, it's it's ultimately got to be doing something to us, too. Yeah, the soil and the water. I mean, we, it's all we are. Like, mm. there's only six inches of soil between life on this planet for humans and no life. You know, and if we don't take care of that six inches of soil, what are we doing? Like, if we're like, yeah, we'll figure it out on the fly. No, that's a situation where we need to stop doing what we're doing, even if we think it might be a problem. And we know neonics are. Well, glad your voice is going to be heard with that, really. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're going to, you know, see what we can do this spring. And as things evolve there, we want to have one of the things also that you and I are, are talking about is changing the podcast. So creating a program where we bring people in because I can try and talk about this stuff, but 
Dan from the NRDC is going to come on the podcast and really explain what the bill does and really explain neonics in detail to right. people. And that's the Natural uh, Natural Resource Defense Council, just in case anyone doesn't yeah. know who the NRDC is. That's terrific. Yeah, and I'm also doing, like, there's a lot happening. I'm doing a website reboot so that when we do a podcast and we have Dan on, it's easy for people to go to the website and find the link so they can study more or sign a petition or all of those things. Excellent. Excellent vehicle. Thank you. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But we'll also be having like fun people. I just wanted to say the, a little bit more about the future program of the podcast. Like the idea is that these three things will work together. The murals on site, in person, active work of me painting murals with this podcast we'll be doing and bringing in guests in season two throughout and then getting the show going. And all three, hopefully, will really be able to expand into a, a bigger presence to create more change. And all tie together. That's, that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, I'm really excited. Um, me too. Me too. Yeah. Uh, so lastly, because we're almost out of time already, um, do you have some upcoming speaking engagements that you'd like to talk to us about or tell me about? we can be listening for? Um, Yeah, there's one in April. I'm going to be speaking at the um, IUCN, the International... (laughs) I'm I'm impressed you remember the four letters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the IUCN. It's a youth summit, international youth summit on on climate change and environment. Mm. You know, so um, I know what I'm talking about. I'm running a network networking session so i'll be talking about my work but all these young people can come in and ask questions and um that'll be happening there's a there's a bunch of speaking engagements coming up um throughout i just did one a really cool one with environment america that was like a panel discussion i'm trying to do more of that stuff via zoom because it's pretty important accessible (laughs) to me yeah and important Exactly. So, and more people are asking because we just got a lot of press this winter with the Reuters article and being in the AARP magazine. I can't tell you how many people it was like 25 million people that went out to. And so people are catching on, you know, I've had people reach out from South Africa, Belgium, Peru, like talking to people about going to India, which is one of my dreams to go and paint a mural in India. And, um, well, don't you think it's also very important that I go with you and we do a podcast from there? <laughs> I think that is absolutely <laughs> imperative. Season two from different countries. I like this plan. Exactly. So cool. Yeah. Ah, well, it's really good to catch up with you today. Um, and I will look forward to our next one very soon now. Me too. We'll probably do one more just us and then... We'll get into the program. Ah, I can't wait, Matt. Thanks a lot. Now, I will talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Thanks for joining me and Matt for this episode. Remember to follow Matt on his website and other social media at The Good of the Hive. 